You on the pod with Claire, we go talk about our problems, our thoughts, and share ways we can just pause and more often care. And if you lost and scared, baby, pull up a chair. Kindness, caring, loving is the mission. As long as we all stick together, we can make a difference. I'm down with everybody, so I'm paying it forward. Only positivity, so I know you're enjoying it. Know the podcast about to start soon. Hope you like pop culture, 90s cartoons. Down with the locals, like who know better. Round like Slodoko and Boo Boo Records here. Know the podcast about to start soon. Grab your wood stocks and your bang the drum room. Here we go, get ready to laugh. Put your headphones on, kick back and relax. Hello, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce my interview this week with the best-selling author, Hal Elrod. Please listen to my talk with him as he discusses his newest book, The Miracle Equation. I cannot believe my luck in being able to interview such an amazing person. Okay, all right, I'm recording. Hal, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today. Claire, it is a pleasure. Uh, it's our first time meeting, so I'm looking. It's, it's kind of cool. People get to get to like eavesdrop on the first time I get to meet you, and the first time you get to meet me. So it's a it's a pleasure. I feel like my heart is racing right now. I feel like Eminem in the beginning of Eight Mile when he's like about to lose <laughs> spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> You're funny. Beginning of my podcast, and you are so amazing. I feel like really excited to talk to you. Oh, awesome! Thank you. <laughs> um. So this is Hal Elrod. He is an author of a best-selling book, Miracle Morning, and he has over a million copies. I feel like Dr. Evil Austin Powers. <laughs> um, and he has an amazing community on Facebook that all these people are helping each other to work towards their best selves. And he has a new book. It's called The Miracle Equation. And I'm so excited to talk about this amazing book. Um, so Hal, do you want to share what your definition of a miracle is? Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. And I think it's a good place to start because I think miracle is a really loaded word, right? You know, it's kind of um, either it's thought about in a religious context, which, you know, for many people is fine. But for some people, they go, you know, they're, they may not be religious. Um, I like to define it in a way where it applies to all of us. I also think that the reason it has a bad rap more than anything is it's thought of in a really kind of a random, unpredictable, passive way, right? Like you, you know, oh, a miracle came out of nowhere. Um, you can't predict miracles. Uh, you know, if, if you want a miracle, you pray and then you wait and you hope. Uh, I'm not big on passivity, right? I'm not big on praying and wait. Not, not that I'm against praying, but I'm not big on waiting. I'm not big on sitting back and waiting for something or someone outside of yourself, even if it's God, to come and save us, right? I'm all about us taking action and, 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 and doing things that are in our control, taking responsibility for our lives and the direction that we're headed. And so for me, here's my definition of a miracle is any meaningful outcome beyond the realm of what you believe is probable for you. I'll say that again, and then I'll kind of define it. Any meaningful outcome beyond the realm of what you believe is probable for you. So meaning a, a big goal or a dream or a challenge that you have to overcome that you've never achieved or overcome before. So in doing so, it feels like a 
miracle, mm -hmm. right? And, um, and for me, uh, I've had, you know, my, the first miracle, if you will. Well, first of all, we're all born a miracle, right? And then we kind of lose, seem to lose sight of the miracle that we are living, which is this life. And for me, when I was 20 years old, I was hit head on by a drunk driver. Um, I died for six minutes. I was in a coma for six days. And when I came out of the coma with 11 broken bones, I was told I would never walk again. And so my first major miracle was um, I decided I would maintain unwavering faith and put forth extraordinary effort uh, to walk again. And three weeks later, the doctors came in. I mean, literally three weeks after I died and broke my, broke my bones, the doctors came in with routine x-rays and they said, Hal, we don't know how to explain this, but your body is healing so quickly that we're going to let you take your first step today in therapy. You know, and even me being optimistic was thinking that was like a year off, not three weeks later, but I took my first step that day. Um, years after that, uh, I wrote this book called the miracle morning that you had mentioned before. And, uh, I wrote it out of a sense of responsibility to share it with other people. I didn't really think, you know, I, I didn't, I, I didn't have an audience. I didn't have a platform or an email list. Like I didn't, I didn't think it was going to change the world. Uh, I, I just felt like it would change someone's life if they implemented it. And, you know, I thought maybe whoever reads this dozens, maybe hundreds of people, um, I owe it to them to share this in a way that could change their life. And now we actually just surpassed 2 million copies sold. Um, the miracle morning is practiced every day by over a million people in a hundred countries. And I am just blown away. Um, and, and, and just um, so grateful every day that I see that. Um, you know, that was a miracle. I never imagined I could sell a million copies of a book and reach over a million people. Um, and then most recently, I was diagnosed with a really rare aggressive cancer a couple of years ago uh, at 37 years old, and I was given a 30% chance of surviving. And I always say this kind of joking, but of course, it wasn't joking at the time. You know, that if you're a, if you're a glass is half empty kind of person, that is a 70% chance that doctors told me that I would die and I would leave my seven-year-old daughter without a father and my four-year-old son without a father and my wife, who I adore and she has my heart, um, leave her without a husband. And it was the scariest thing in my life, but I applied the same, you know, to this miracle equation that I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, um, unwavering faith and extraordinary effort. And um, even the doctors thought I wouldn't make it. I, I believed I would. And now I am grateful to say I am cancer-free and furthering my mission, which is to elevate the consciousness of humanity one morning at a time, one person at a time, and, uh, and, and share as many uh, or change as many lives in a positive way as I possibly can. So I think that brings us uh, up to date. <laughs> <laughs> so as young Hal, who taught you to be kind? I wanted to ask you what your relationship with your parents is like. I imagine you're a darling, beautiful family because in your book, you talk about how you like to wake your kids up and you go into your daughter and son's room and cuddle them and say, hello, my favorite daughter. You are so kind. You are so amazing. I'm filling you with positive energy and this is going to be the best day of your life. And I was like, oh my gosh, Hal, if every parent in the world did that and if every child in the world woke up that way, just like no doubt in their mind they were so so cherished by their parents like uh, so i just want to know like did that come from your parents through you to your kids um yeah i mean not that exact thing i think i was woken up like most kids get woken by parents which is get out of bed we're gonna be late right <laughs> um and i made the decision uh it was recently just a few months back i guess six months no I guess it's been a while now maybe six months a year ago um, that I wanted to wake my kids up in a really meaningful way um, that set them off for the day with a positive emotional tone and, and, and energy. Um, but, uh, but overall, my parents, yeah, were phenomenal. And I'm very, very blessed. 
Uh, and it does break my heart when I hear people that, you know, that didn't have that relationship with their parents. And, um, and of course you can't change it. You can't let that be the reason that you're, you know, not happy or, or whatever. Um, oh, hold on. Sorry. I apologize. I've got some computer ringing. Um, but, uh, I, my, my, my relationship with my parents is great and they were really, really loving, awesome, you know, parents. And in fact, it's funny. I, I had a dream when I started uh, at 19, I started uh, in sales and because I was one of the company's top sales reps, I was asked to speak at our events and I started, I really liked that. I liked sharing a message that helped people and then them coming up afterwards and telling me that it really helped them and impacted their life in a positive way. And, uh, I ended up, I told my dad I wanted to be a, I always wanted to be a motivational speaker. Oh, hello. I told my dad I always wanted to be a motivational speaker. And he said, um, <laughs> I said, but dad, I, you're, you and mom were always so good to me. I never really had much to talk about. And, uh, and that was when the car accident had happened. And I thought, well, maybe that's why this happened. Maybe I'm meant to share this message with other people and, and speak uh, in a way that can impact their lives uh, and share with them how to overcome their adversity in the way that I'm overcoming my adversity uh, as well. So, Okay, I hope you're enjoying this talk. The first part of the talk is done and due to technical difficulties, I had to start the conversation again. So from here on, Hal is going to talk about how he sets his family as a priority in his life and how you can prioritize your values and have those values reflected in your personal calendars. I love this. Have fun, you guys. Enjoy. Okay. Okay, so you were talking about how you wanted to be a motivational speaker. Your dad was talking to you about this career you wanted to pursue, and you said, but dad, I... I never had any problems with you and mom. And he was talking to you about how you were going to become a motivational speaker. Yeah. I said, yeah. So I was in the hospital, my hospital bed and my dad was concerned. Actually the doctors were concerned that I would, uh, that I had emotional, that I was delusional because I was so positive and happy. And to being a 20 year old young man being told you're never going to walk again. Um, you know, the doctors thought, that's not normal for your son to always be smiling and laughing and joking. And we think that he's in denial or delusional or kind of some, some combination of the two. And um, my dad came in and said, Hal, how, how are you feeling? Are you sad? Are you scared? Are you depressed? Are you angry? You know, the doctors say it's normal to feel these things. And I said, dad, I thought you knew me better than that. I can't change what happened to me. So what's the point in feeling all those emotions you just shared? I don't want to be sad or angry or depressed. If I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life, I've already decided I'll be the happiest, most grateful person you've ever seen in a wheelchair because I'm in a wheelchair either way. I said, but all my energy isn't going into that fear of, well, what if I'm in a wheelchair? It's, I've accepted that possibility and I'm totally at peace with it. Now I get to focus my energy on what I do want and that is to walk again. So I'm visualizing walking again. I'm praying about it. I'm thinking about it. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm putting all my energy into that. Um, but if I never walk again, I'm okay. So it's, it's, you know, so kind of pausing Claire on the story, it's the value of being able to hold two opposing ideas simultaneously. You know, most people, I think it's, it's, if you want something really bad, then you're really disappointed if you don't get it. Well, what if you were to just change the rules of the way you view life and go, you know what? I want a lot of things really, really bad. Some I'll get some I won't, but either way, that's okay. Right. If I, if I don't get something I want, but I work really hard towards, I'll just learn the lessons 
switch gears and, and apply those lessons to the next big goal or dream. In fact, that, that really brings up a really important point, which is a really important lesson around goals. Um, most of us think in a black and white paradigm that if I achieve the goal, I have succeeded. And if I don't achieve the goal, then I have failed. And I learned from my mentor, Dan Cassetta, years ago, um, the purpose of a goal isn't even to hit the goal. It's actually to just become the person who can achieve goals, meaning to develop the qualities and the characteristics that will enable you to achieve more goals, bigger goals, better goals now and for the rest of your life. So whether or not you achieve an individual goal is insignificant in terms of the qualities and the characteristics that you develop by your unwavering pursuit of a goal, giving it everything you have, regardless of your results along the way. I read your book and I was review, rereading it, getting ready for this interview, and I was surprised that the setbacks you had in your life, they're like barely even mentioned. You said the girlfriend you were seeing at the time of the accident broke up with you in the hospital, and it took up less than one sentence. And <laughs> I kind of dwelled on that, and then you said someone you were working with on your book publishing took some money from you and left the country, and that, again, was like less than one sentence of your whole book. So your attitude and your energy is just positive going forward, going forward, and it's drawing so much goodness to you. I'm just amazed. Thank you. Well, you know, you, you said, what you said reminded me of something that uh, a friend of mine was interviewing me, Jordan Harbinger, uh, on the Jordan Harbinger show. And he started the interview and, you know, he and I have known each other for probably five years or so. And he started the interview by saying, Hal, you're what makes what, one thing that's really unique about you is you are like the luckiest person in the world. You have amazing things happen in your life. I feel like you get so lucky. He said, but you're also the unluckiest person in the world. Like you were head on by a drunk driver and you died for six minutes and broke 11 bones. Then you came down with this really rare aggressive cancer that almost killed you. In 2008, you lost all your money in your house, right? So it is kind of interesting. And I just think there's a correlation. So to your point, you said, Claire, you know, how you had some of these major adversities and they only took up like a sentence or two in the book. Um, when you said that, I mean, you realize like, man, I've had a lot of big stuff go bad, right? Some of them, I can't fit them all in. But at the same time, I've had a lot of stuff go great. And so I think it all goes back to mindset, right? It's that if you approach your challenges, your adversity, your, you, with, you know, I guess you could say with grace and with acceptance, giving yourself that gift of peace so you can move forward and move through those challenges so they don't deter you for any longer than they have to. They don't devastate you. They don't depress you. You go, hey, this horrible thing happened. Can't change it. What can I learn from it? Uh, how can I grow from it? And what do I, what do I need? Where do I want to go now? What, what's next? And then you just keep moving, right? And most people go, oh my God, I was hit by a drunk driver and I'm never going to walk again. This is terrible. And then they live their life in fear. And then that fear becomes their reality and it affects their physiology and it becomes a real life, you know, reality, meaning that they don't walk again because they spent their time in fear that they wouldn't walk again. You know, they're diagnosed with cancer, said there's not a good chance they're going to live. So then they spend their time in fear and, and, you know, my, my new book, The Miracle Equation, it's, the two decisions are unwavering faith and extraordinary effort, right? That you, you replace that fear of what might go wrong with unwavering faith that you can make anything go right. Maybe not every time, maybe not perfectly. In fact, definitely not every time and definitely not perfectly. But when you maintain that mindset of unwavering faith, and not in a higher power necessarily, I'm, I'm talking about faith in yourself and 
your worth and your ability to overcome or accomplish anything, right? That is the unwavering faith that will keep propelling you forward through all the ups, the downs, the challenges, the setbacks, so that you can implement the second decision, which is extraordinary effort. And that extraordinary effort doesn't mean you have to work, you know, like sacrifice your relationships and your health and just work all the time. Extraordinary effort is simply consistent effort over an extended period of time. That's how I define extraordinary effort. Consistent effort over an extended period of time. And when you maintain unwavering faith that you can accomplish anything and you put forth extraordinary effort, consistent effort over an extended period of time, and you do both of those things, you make both of the decisions every day, the only variable in you achieving what it is you want in your life is time. Because eventually that faith that propels you to put forth that effort, eventually you get there. It might take you longer than you wanted. You know, it almost, in fact, usually does. But when you finally get to the point you've been working for so hard and for so long, you realize the timing is always perfect. Yeah, you have your own podcast and it's about goal achievers, people that are really successful in their fields talking about achieving goals. And you talked recently about a shift in your podcast focus and it's going to be about making yourself the best version of yourself you can so that you can help your loved ones and the closest people around you be the best version of their selves. And you wrote a version of the Miracle Morning in 2016. It was an amazing parenting book. And I saw recently your daughter was brought on stage to introduce you. And I want to ask about how, I, I want to hear you speak to the fact that you have your kids and you are focusing on them and spending time with them and being present because once the time is gone, it's gone. And how, yeah. how to be the best parent to the kids you can be. Yeah. You know, and I think this is, if you're not a parent, I, I want to make this, this really important lesson valuable to all of us and, 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 and relevant to, to you, you know? So um, when I got cancer, um, you know, I was immediately looking for, okay, what are the benefits? What's the reason? What can I learn from this? You know, the, the old adage, everything happens for a reason. I think it's missing the most important part, which is that it is our responsibility to choose the reason. You know, and we can choose reasons that discourage us and disempower us, such as life's unfair and I'm a victim and I'm unlucky and whatever. Or we can choose reasons that empower us, like I've stated, which is, oh, I'm going to grow from this. I'm going to learn from this. There's a better version of me on the other side of this adversity. And I'm going to move through it as gracefully as I can, as effectively as I can, so I can get to that version of myself. Um, and, uh, and so when I got cancer, looking for all the lessons that I could find in it, um, the biggest one that I got was that I, uh, I didn't have my priorities in order. And I think this is true for the majority of us um, in different ways, depending on who you are and, 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 you know, and, and what, your, what, what your challenges are or what you're, uh, what you're working towards. But here's what I mean by that. We ultimately, um, what we want in our lives is often we choose that short-term pleasure instead of it, right? So, so the idea is that you have things you value. For me, it was family. I, if you would have asked me, Claire, what's the most important thing in your life? I would have said without having to give it a second thought, my family, my wife and our, my kids, like they are the most important thing in my life. This was 2016. And if, if you would have said, well, hey, can I look at your calendar, at your, at your schedule? you wouldn't have seen alignment in the way I was living my life, the way I was spending my time and what I said I valued most, right? I value my family, yet 
why do you work all the time? And look at how many Saturdays did you cancel family time because you had another book coming out, another book you had to promote, another event coming, right? Like had, something was going on and, and you chose that over taking your kids to the park. I did, but I wasn't aware of that. I, I really believed my family's number one. I believe it in my heart, soul, mind, you name it. But my schedule told a different story. And so you have to look at, or my behavior, you could say, told a different story. Um, and so you have to look at that in your life. And whenever I speak to a group of entrepreneurs, and this is true for whether you're an entrepreneur or not, um, I say, how many of you would, would say your family is number one? And all the hands go up. And I say, if I looked at your schedule, would that be obvious to me? Mm-hmm. And almost none of the hands go up. And I go, look, some changes it sounds like need to happen in your life as have happened in my life so that what you believe in your heart is your, are your top priorities, that those are reflected in how you spend your time. And I'll give one other example, um, which, is, uh, which is most people would say health is a priority, right? Yeah, I want to have a lot of energy. I want to be healthy. I want to live a long life. I don't want to get disease or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so are your health are your, or your, are your dietary choices in alignment of valuing health and energy, um, right? If you're eating, you know, food that isn't, you know, primarily plant-based um, with, uh, you know, maybe small amounts of, of grass-fed or free-range, you know, grass-fed beef or free-range chicken or wild-caught fish or, you know, just, I'm just saying healthy food, right? I'm giving some specific examples in my world of, of, you know, how I try to eat. I try to eat kind of raw vegan, organic by day and then paleo by night. I find that's kind of the been the best uh, combination for me to generalize. But, um, but yeah, but it's the idea that uh, if you value health, is your behavior in alignment with that? And is your schedule? Are you exercising every day and eating foods that contribute to your health? Or are you valuing short-term pleasure in the form of taste above long-term fulfillment in the form of health? And so that's been the, the lesson for, you know, you asked about me being a dad, but again, for all of us, it's about getting really clear on what do you value most and then aligning your behavior and your schedule and your choices with what it is that you value. And I encourage you to do that in writing, by the way, don't just hear me. If you hear me say that and you think about it for a few minutes and then you don't write it down, I would say for most of you and most of us, we're not going to change that way. We've got to put in writing, what do I value most? And then sit with it for 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes, right? Or an hour or a day or a weekend, right? Spend time, get clear. What do you value most? And then what changes do you need to make in your behavior or your you know, ongoing schedule so that you live in alignment with your values? And I think that's one of the most important things that we can actively do in writing, in our schedule, make commitments, make changes so that we live in alignment with our values. And then when you do that, it might be hard at first, like, oh, I don't, I don't want to eat a salad. You know, I don't want to, I don't, I, don't, I don't have time to spend going to the gym. I need to work or whatever it is for you, right? At first, it's challenging. But every time you, I'm, I'm just telling you, every time you live in alignment with your values, every time you do the thing, you know, you go to the gym. You may not want to go to the gym on the way, but after you're done, I guarantee it's been said, nobody likes going to the gym. Everybody loves the feeling of having gone to the gym, right? You might not like eating the healthy food. I can't love the feeling of having eaten the healthy food. Go ahead. What'd you say? Just an average person. There's so many things that are tempting you from your cell phone to Netflix, yada, yada, but with all these offers coming your way that are you know, uh, 
network television and stuff, for you to focus on your family is really inspiring to me. And you recently took your daughter on a daddy-daughter vacation, and that is something that is going to be really memorable for her. And you had your son, and you did a son-dad day, and you asked him, what, whatever you want to do, I'll do it. But yeah. You, like you said, if you're not a parent and if you say, I love my parents, but yet you go months or years without seeing them and you don't make the time to take your dad out to lunch or your mom out to a movie, like that's super important and it's super doable too. If you, if you focus on it. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you have, you have to make it a priority, right? Yeah. And to your point, you know, I think that as a parent, um, your kids are arguably number one and or your spouse. And you can, that's a, you know, you can discuss that in different contexts and say, no, well, the spouse has to be first and then the kids, but either way, family number one. And, and then, and, and also, yeah, I realize one of the things on my cancer journey is not just my kids, but the, the, the human beings who I am a kid too, right. Um, who arguably, you know, have, there's less time even available with, with those folks and uh, those folks being our parents, of course, um, you know, and realizing that how important it is for them. I've realized I'm still their baby, you know, and I think the, the way I love my kids is the way my parents love me. It doesn't matter how old I get. And uh, I thought, you know, they probably don't want to bother me, but I realized I really got my, you know, um, I really tried to get empathetic and go, what do they, what did like, if I know my mom, I know my dad. What if, if they could have anything, what do they want? And then I eventually asked them, but at first it was, what do they want? I go, I bet they want to spend more time with me. I bet they wish I would call them more. I bet they'd love to see me more often. I bet they'd love if I FaceTimed once a week with, with the grandkids. Those are all things that are easy. They don't, that's not hard, right? You know, an extra hour a week or whatever, right? Uh, if that, uh, half an hour a week. And, um, and it, you know, and so I've been, I haven't been perfect, but I've been implementing those things and, and, and increasing the amount of time that I spend talking to my parents and seeing my parents and engaging and, and visiting and, you know, and um, yeah. And, uh, and it's been, it's, it's, you know, when you, when you live, live in alignment with your values, it's, it's the most enriching thing you can do for your life. Yeah, you won't regret it. Um, I wanted to talk about this little piece of your book. It says that you were involved with the Front Row Foundation and that you were donate that you were donating some of your royalties towards them and then also you were gifting books to people that were in need of inspiration um what what um what other things are going on with front row foundation right now so yeah, front row foundation was founded by one of my best friends john vroman um and uh it, we find it's always funny. I always tell them like, you're not the reason I support front row. I just want you to know, like, I love you, but like, it's the work of the foundation. And, uh, he and I were, um, at a vacation home in Myrtle beach with a handful of other friends. We were having like a guy's week weekend. And, uh, we were talking about our goals for life. And he said, I want to start this nonprofit where kind of like make a wish. Um, only it's, uh, sending people to the, the front row experience of their dreams could be, you know, they've sent people to see concerts of world famous musicians or front row at the opera or front row at the world cup or, you know, you name any of it, NASCAR, you name it. Um, and the difference was that it was people of any age. So unlike make a wish is only for children under, I'm not sure what age, but uh, this was for, you know, uh, your parent, it could be your grandparent, anybody, all ages having the event of their dreams. And, um, I've, I've taken, uh, people, I, I've been a, a front row, like like at the event. Actually, the person taking the family, escorting them to the event, and attending it with them. Um, and and I've been behind the scenes on the board, and I've been a contributor, and all these things, and uh, just being involved. I've I've seen that it is one of the most. Um, it's just it's just beautiful. Well, first of all, 
for the, the recipient, it's, it's them having the dream night of their life. And often these people are, you know, the, these folks are battling cancer or they've got, you know, they've been given six months to live or whatever. And there's, there's a lot of fear and anxiety and not much to look forward to. And then they get this front row, these, this, you know, the, the front row experience starts with the announcement. They do this beautiful reveal of that. Hey, you get to go see, go to the event of your dreams in front row and meet the band or, you know, and the people, and it's just that it starts there. And then they get to count down the days and then front wrote this amazing job of capturing it all on video and film and in a journal and you know and, and it just and so the the moments are captured forever and what's interesting is originally this was designed for the recipient the person that was braving the life-threatening illness to go to the favorite event uh, of their dreams and and then you know many of the some of these folks after the front row experience they've actually beaten their you know their prognosis they're still with us um but many of them you know they're 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 in stage four cancer or there is somewhere along the lines where they don't make it and they pass, pass away. And uh, the, the, what, what the unexpected consequence was of this whole thing was the joy that it brings to the family and not just on the night of the event, but that whenever they're, you know, feeling down or they're missing their, their loved one, they get to pop in that DVD. They get to open up that, that photo album. They get to relive what was arguably the, one of the best days, the best moments, the best experiences of their loved one's life before they left this earth. And they get to relive that over and over and over. So it was interesting that this was designed for the recipient and them getting to go to the front row of the event of their dreams. But what the Front Row Foundation has found unexpectedly is that, wow, it's arguably just as beneficial, if not even more beneficial uh, for the family and the friends and the loved ones of, of the person that uh, received the experience. Thank you so much for speaking about that, Hal. If anyone's interested, please go check out their website. Um, yeah. Turning back to you and what you have going on, you've provided so, so, so much value for, for nothing for no cost for free. You have a website, you have a podcast. It's incredible. You have a Facebook community that you yourself, I see on there all the time. So mm-hmm. you're just putting out all this stuff, but you have an event coming up in San Diego at the end of the year. Do you want to speak about how if someone wants to go beyond all the free stuff you're giving and they want to invest a little bit? Yeah, I appreciate you asking me about that. Um, that was not pre-planned, so, or at least not for me. Um, so yeah, every year we do a live event. And I say we, it's me and my, uh, one of my best friends and uh, my, I guess, business partner, you'd say John Berghoff. Uh, and it's called The Best Year Ever Blueprint. And it is this year, 2019, it's in uh, San Diego, California, December 13th through 15th. Um, and uh, I'll just say, it's always hard for me to put this into words. I don't have like a, like a, a, a canned way of presenting this, but it's unlike any other event that I've ever experienced. And I've gone to, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of, of events around the world. And um, it's different in how experiential it is. And here's what I mean. Most events, in fact, I've I've called this event 1.0 before, is a bunch of speakers on stage, a bunch of audience members, and you take notes and you learn information in a live setting. And arguably, that's information that you could learn at home, reading a book, watching their YouTube speech, um, you know, listening to their podcast, right? I mean, you can, information's a commodity. It's free. It's available all over the place, right? 
So, um, so that's event 1.0 is just listening to information from speakers. And then the problem with that, there's a lot of problems actually. Number one is the science of, of learning, right? Is that is not the most effective way to learn just to listen to information and write it down. The most effective way to learn is through experience. When you actually experience the thing you learn about, you learn it at the deepest level, right? It's one thing to teach someone how to swing a golf club. It's another thing to go out on the course and start swinging golf clubs, right? So the point is, when you leave an event, most events, and you know, you've, you've listened to these great speakers and you're inspired, you're motivated, and you take all these notes, you go home with, you know, three, four, five, ten 10 pages of notes that you didn't have when you went to the event and you don't necessarily have more time. So now you have the burden of how do I, I've got to remember what the speaker talked about in the context they were talking about it. I've got to read through my gibberish notes here and I've got to figure out how and find time to implement what I learned, right? What we do at the Best Year Ever Blueprint Experience, which, and, and the details, by the way, are bestyeareverlive.com, bestyeareverlive.com, if you want to get your ticket and, and check it out. Um, and we sell it every year, too, so it, it is something where if you are interested, you can, you know, secure your spot now. But the point being that at the, at, at the event, and I like to call it the experience because, you know, there's lots of events, there's not as many experiences, but the idea is everything that is taught you spend more time masterminding with the other attendees, apply, looking at ways you're going to apply it to your own life, often actually experiencing whatever it is that you learned in the moment through the interaction with the other attendees at the event. But the point is that you actually spend more time connecting with people in the room than you do listening to speakers on stage because you only listen enough to get what you need and then you spend time going really deep and hearing other people's perspective and what they heard and what they learned and what they're going to apply so that your the depth of understanding of the, you know, I'm doing air quotes, information, now you've experienced it at a deep level and now you're, you know, you're, I wouldn't say you're a master of it, right? But you're definitely on your, further along that journey to mastering what you learn because it's not what you learn that changes your life. It's what you live that changes your life. And so at the event, we try to give you an opportunity to live everything you learn while you're there so that when you leave the event, you don't leave the event as the same person with 10 pages of notes. You leave the event as a better version of the person that you were when you got there on day one. Well, I would highly recommend you guys checking out this event. It would be a wonderful gift to yourself and those around you to invest in that. Um, as I wrap up our talk, I just want to say that I loved reading your books, Hal. I think they are so funny and so darling and charming. And I like mark up my books with my pen and highlighter and I put so many smiley faces, hearts, like you had all these Saturday Night Live references. You like put a little jab at your sister and your dedication. Deprecating <laughs> about your Cutco friends and buddies. And I just like, I can't recommend your books highly enough. And um, I've read a bajillion self-help books and I enjoyed yours so much. I'm going to definitely recommend them to all my people that I love. Thank you, Claire. I appreciate you very much. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. I will see you on Facebook. All right. See you then. Bye, Al. Bye. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. I wanted to let you know that Hal's books are available on Amazon or on his personal website. Both The Miracle Morning and The Miracle Equation are at the top of my recommendation list for all of you. 
Um, the event that he spoke about at the end of this interview, unfortunately, it's already happened. This interview took place last year. But I did want to let you know that you should get on his email list, um, follow him on Facebook for any future events that he'll have. He's always offering incredible experiences of value to you. And I was really heartbroken and upset with myself for not getting this to you before the event, but stopping to think about it, I'm deciding to forgive myself and be okay with the timing of this interview release. So. I feel that the universe will be getting this interview to you at just the right time, and so the message he is bringing through me to you is meant to be in your mind and in your heart right now today, not last year when we recorded it. So there you go. Those are my thoughts about the timing of this. Um, the podcast, so you guys are listening to this on my podcast right now, hop over to his podcast and subscribe while you're into iTunes. Um, you will love all of his guests. I just, he is one of the three podcasts I regularly listen to. And then finally, over on Facebook, he's doing 30-day um, challenges for monthly missions. So if there's one area of your life you want to focus on, whether it's relationship, money, health, go to his community group for the Miracle Morning. And if you want and you're interested, they have um, accountability buddies available. So it's a really, really neat page, and um, I'm just so thankful for Hal for doing this interview, and I'm thankful for you for listening. And I will see you guys on my website, Claire Kindness, and hopefully you'll sign up for my newsletter, and I'll be in touch via your inbox. Okay, have a lovely day. Bye, guys.